This is Jim Laws along with Nat Ayers, and we're coming to you today over the Gospel is for All Internet Radio broadcast. This radio, internet radio program is brought to you by the Broadway Church of Christ in Tyler, Texas. We're always very happy to be with you on the internet radio and the TGRN radio network, and we look forward to studying the Bible with you once again. Whenever you have the opportunity, I hope that you'll come by and visit with us at the Broadway Church of Christ in Tyler. It's always a, a great opportunity for us to get to know you and to visit with you. We have our worship service times Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. And then, of course, Bible classes on Sunday morning at 9 and Bible classes Wednesday evening at 7. And it's always a wonderful time of fellowship and Bible study and worship when we're able to get together at the Broadway Church of Christ in Tyler, Texas. And we always look forward to your visit. I'd also encourage you to write to us if you have a comment or question about our radio program. You can always uh, write to us by email, bcoc at suddenlinkmail.com, and we always are happy to hear from you. That's bcoc at suddenlinkmail.com. If you choose to email us, or you can simply send your question to 100 Cumberland Road in Tyler, Texas, and we'd be glad to hear from you. And should you have a question, we'll do our very best to deal with it from the pages of the Bible. Nat, today I'd like to go to Philippians chapter 1, and our verse is verse 20 and 21. There's a passage there that I have always admired, and I really do admire the life of the Apostle Paul and the way that he could live this and say this. You know, it's one thing to say something. And it's quite another thing to actually do it and to put it into practice in everyday life. But this man did. He, he not only could say it, but he did actually live it. And I'd like to use that as the beginning point of our Bible study today, Philippians 1, 20 and 21. If you have your Bible, I hope you follow along with us and study from its pages. And now I'm going to ask you to read that for us, and we'll begin our discussion at that point. Very good. <clears throat> Thank you, Jim. Uh, let's read this uh, very... Uh strong uh, verse here in Philippians 1, 20-21. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not, not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For, me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Um, let me read that in verse 23. Just I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part to be with Christ, for that is far better. You know, Paul definitely was acquainted with the the idea uh, of death in his life, of, the, of uh, what was to come to him in life, the sufferings that he was to uh, undergo. But... Uh, to live in the, uh, to live for me to live in Christ uh, is uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He understood that uh, this life is to live uh, for Christ uh, is a, should to be about Christ. And when we die, we have something to gain if we live for Christ in this life. That's so true. I, I appreciate you reading those verses both both before and both after verse twenty and twenty one because they certainly have a part in Paul's overall discussion. It, it's a 
uh, chapter in the book of Philippians that really talks about, I like to call it the Savior-centered life. It, right. it, if you look at Philippians chapter 1 and count up the many times that Paul references Jesus over and over again in that one chapter, it seems like he's emphasizing the important point that we should have Christ as the center of our life and as the focus of our life, the purpose of our life, if you will. And I think a key thought in developing that is found for us in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if one can truly say, as Paul did, for me to live is Christ, then one can also say, to die is gain. Yes. Uh, and that's what he's saying in, in this passage. If one cannot say truthfully, uh, for me to live is Christ, then he must say, uh, for me to die is loss inutterable, uh, is loss indescribable. Uh, if you can truthfully say, for me to live is Christ, then one could say, to die is gain. But if you can't say, for me to live is Christ, then you're also going to have to say, then to die is the most indescribable state that I can imagine, yes. the indescribable loss that I can have. Nothing can be more important than being able to say in this life, for me to live is Christ. But what must be true of a person in order for him to be able to say truthfully, for me to live is Christ? What is that going to mean, and what are you going to have to do and be? For one to be able to say, for me to live is Christ, he must also be able to say, for me to live is Christ as he is my king. And so let's examine the passage of scripture or two about that. I'm thinking of Acts chapter 2, and that's very much the point that the Apostle Peter is making. For me to live is Christ the king, and to accept him as king. So while we consider this matter, let's go to the second chapter of the book of Acts. And this discussion that Peter gives us begins at about verse 22, and his sermon continues on down through verse 36. It is one of the great sermons of the Bible. You know, not long ago, Nat, we had a Sunday night seminar in which we were discussing <clears throat> great Bible sermons on yes. Sunday nights in our worship service. Right. And one of the sermons that we wanted to deal with and did deal with was this great sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. It starts at verse 22 and goes through verse 36. And there are four or five great points that are made in this sermon. And when Peter gets through making these five great points and substantiating his uh, sermon with these points, he draws the conclusion. Jesus is the king. Right. The king and his kingdom is the New Testament church. Let me elaborate, and, and Nat, you can uh, mention these things as well, but I was thinking about uh, prophecy, you know. He talks about prophecy in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. You notice the fact he's proving Jesus is the king. Right. He's a descendant of David. David prophesied about that. He's using Old Testament prophecy as a means of proof. And he goes through that, uh, that whole discussion. And, and then he comes to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know 
for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, this is a great sermon. And his point in this sermon is you must accept Christ as king yes. of your life. Well, you know, they in this uh, sermon, Peter is, is talking, of course, uh, it says to all the household of Israel, men of Israel, hear these words. He's talking to these, these Jews here that, that know this lineage, that know uh, quite well who David was and what David was. And he builds David up and says he's this great man, but... He goes on to say, but but David is buried and he is dead, and his tomb is with us today. He's still dead. He he was mortal, but the man I'm talking about came from that uh, lineage, but he is incorruptible. He did not see corruption uh, in verse uh, 31, and uh, this Jesus God raised in verse 32, and of that we are all witness. He was exalted in 33. And now at the right hand of God. So he's saying, he's saying, you had no problem accepting how great David is, but let me tell you, David's dead and gone and buried, but this man who came after David is now at the right hand of, of God. How kingly, how uh, great is he and should be uh, to all of us. Absolutely. Christ reigns as king over his kingdom. You know a good verse to go to right here would be Matthew chapter 28. And I'll, I'll encourage us all to go to Matthew 28, about verse 18 through 20, and here again points out the kingship and the messiahship of Christ. If anyone is going to say truthfully, for me to live is Christ, he's going to have to accept Christ as king of his life. Right. And the marching orders of the king are given to us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now I'll have you read that. Uh, I guess 18 would be a good okay. place to read or start, and then... If you're studying along with us at home, and I hope you are, you may want to turn to this Bible passage, yes. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All right. Uh, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, ther go therefore and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, do, uh, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. We see here in verse 18, Jim, that Christ has all authority today, both in heaven and on earth. In fact, he has the ability, the authority to command his followers. We are under the commands of Christ today. If we want to follow the king, then we must yield, uh, we must obey, we must submit to his authority and we see that he has all authority. It's been given to him. Why? Because of his great power of being able to be the Son of God, be raised from the dead, his uh, work in creation, his handiwork. Uh, he is the author of all things. Therefore, he has the authority. And if we want to follow the king, we must yield to that authority. Yeah, and that's, that really is right on the point here with Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. All authority in heaven and on earth. Well, what authority is left? That's it. Uh, there's none that's left. Christ has all authority in this matter of life and godliness. And he says, now make disciples, as you see, verse 19. How do you do that? By baptizing them and teaching them. That's how you make disciples. Uh, we might uh, compare it to an illustration by saying, go beautify the house by painting and cleaning it. Uh, so Jesus is saying, go make disciples. 
by baptizing them and teaching them. And that's how disciples are made. And to listen to the authority of the king, of course, means that we're letting Christ be the authority of our lives. But another Bible passage comes to my mind, Nat, and I'd like for those who are studying with us uh, to read it with us, and it's Revelation 19. And if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 19, you're going to see another Bible passage that really talks to this matter of the authority of Christ, the kingship of Christ, the reign of Christ. And the reason we're studying these passages, we've been looking at Acts chapter 2, uh, 22 through 36. We looked very briefly at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And now we're looking at Revelation 19 and verse 6, that um, these passages are talking about Jesus being the king of my life. And if he's really... Uh, not the king of my life, then I really cannot say for me to live as Christ. Uh, if I cannot say for me to live as Christ, I surely cannot say for me to die as gain either. So, Nat, if you would, and if you notice this beautiful passage, it goes uh, on down there uh, for us, but I thought of Revelation 19 and 6, and notice how it describes the reign of the Messiah. Yes. Let's read this together. Uh, Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. We see that uh, in heaven, um, uh, after judgment, uh, that that uh, all those, the great multitude, this voice of this great multitude, will recognize and recognize um, the the supreme rule of God, that he reigns. And, um, you know, Jim, today, not everyone recognizes that. Not everyone yields to the idea that God is supreme, that God is the ruler, that, that Christ is the king. But there is coming a day where there will be no doubt in anyone's mind who the great king is. That is so true. And it's, this is a beautiful passage, very picturesque speech, yes. describing for us the reign of Christ and, and uh, how he's described in such a fashion. Well, now let's continue this thought a little bit further. I, I think those who are studying with us would want to know more about the idea what it means for one to be able to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Surely one would have to say, well, Christ is the king of my life. We yes. would have to grant that. But we'd also have to say that Christ really is the realm of my life, the kind of life that I should live, the way I should live my life. Uh, he tells me the kind of life to be lived. If you turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, I'd like for us to study a little bit out of that passage. In that, there's some explanation that we need to give, and, and it really begins at about verse 17 and continues on down through verse 19, I guess, would be the, uh, the place to go. But I'm looking at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 particularly, and there's a word or two in there that we need to consider. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. If you're following along with us from the confines of your home, and I hope you are, I hope you turn to these Bible passages and read them along with us. And if not, write them down and then give special consideration to them when you have the opportunity. Right now, we're saying that since Christ is the king, I use the term realm, 
what I mean by that is the kind of life that we live. We should live the kind of life that the king has told us to live. And if you would, Matt, read for us 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at about verse, we can start verse 16, 17, would be a good place okay. for us to begin. Let's look at this, 2 Corinthians five sixteen, and onward. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting them to the message of of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, uh, Christ, uh, when we become one in Christ, in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Well, that's not a gem, uh, a when we read that, we're not talking about a Shazam moment where magic pixie dust makes you into a totally new person who lives for Christ at that point. It's a change of heart, a change of mind, a repentance, uh, uh, wanting to follow Christ, wanting to be reconciled. Through his blood, he reconciles, but it takes living in, like you said, in the realm of Christ, living as Christ would have us live. Uh, he's given us to the ministry of reconciliation. Our life, our service should be about coming back to Christ, coming back to God, turning our lives towards God in reconciliation. And that's a good way to put it, Nat. And I like the way you put it there, coming back to God. Yes. is really getting at the meaning of what reconciliation is. Yeah. It gets back to the idea of two friends were estranged, they're separated. Right. Uh, they're no longer a part of each other. And now they've been reconciled. They've been brought back together. And that is what sin does for us. Yes. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 is a good Old Testament passage. I won't turn to that right now, but it does come to my mind where it tells us that sin has separated us from God. And that's a good Old Testament passage which helps us understand the, the spiritual relationship that we have with God, that sin has severed the relationship. But now, through Christ and the gospel, there's reconciliation. And as you pointed out, that's a necessary uh, way of life for us. There's no way I can say for me to live as Christ if I hadn't been reconciled to Christ. That's there's true. no way for me to say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain if I have not been reconciled to the gospel of Christ. That's right. and, and so this becomes an important passage. And I just describe it as the realm in which we live. We live in this spiritual way of life now because of what Christ has done. So this new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, is a necessity. He's telling us how important that is. Yes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yep. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the new has come. And I think the way to understand that is that the old has passed away. That old way of life has passed away. That's right. And you got a new way of life. You can't live as an old man any longer. can't live like that any longer. And so the new life has really come about because of this getting back together again. And he calls it the ministry of reconciliation. Yes. 
you know, and I and I need to point out also. Now we do become a new creation through the water of baptism, through the yeah. blood of Christ. Yes, we become a new creation, but we it's a mindset of having to not go back to living that old lifestyle, not going back to the old man. We we no longer can go back there and please God. We've got to be we've got to embody that new creation. We've got to become that new creation uh, through repentance and through wanting to live for Christ, being reconciled to Christ. Exactly. Now, this is such an important matter. As you pointed out, Nat, it's a necessary thing. Yes. But he really urges them to do this. In verse 20, as you read, Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, I think he's talking about the apostles there. God making his appeal through us. God was making the appeal of the gospel and men obeying the gospel through the teaching of the apostles. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So it's a strong statement. He's really imploring them. Now that word implore, uh, he's saying be obedient to the scripture. Be obedient to the gospel of Christ. I'm urging you to do it. Be reconciled. This ministry of reconciliation, whereby you and God can be brought back together again through Jesus Christ, or by means of what Christ has done, by your faithful obedience to the gospel. Now, you brought up a point there that we need to talk about. Let's go ahead and add to this Galatians chapter 3. So let's turn to Galatians 3, and that 26 and 27 there, I think speaks to the point that you raised a moment ago about being baptized. How is it that we can be reconciled? Okay, somebody says, I want to be reconciled back to God. Yeah. I want to get this sin problem fixed up in my life. Well, let's see how you're going to do that. Yeah. And the Bible is very clear about the matter, and I'm thinking of Galatians 3, and uh, we could start the reading there at about verse 23. Now, he's talking about the old law and its purpose and place, and Galatians 3 is a great um, passage to consider. He says back there in about verse 19, why then the law? Yeah. And he says, well, this old law was for, because of transgression. And uh, this old law pointed out what sin was, and it should be till the seed come, or till Christ comes. Uh, but now he gets down to the point uh, that the old law was sort of a guardian, verse 24, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, start with about verse 25, Matt, yep. and read 25, 26, and, and just go on through verse 29. Okay. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all the sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You know, when we read this, and, and of course it talks about the Gentiles and the heirs of Abraham's offspring, and there was a time where uh, the Gentiles uh, weren't in a, a covenant relationship with God. Uh, and it, the the faith was guarded through a uh, chosen people, the, the Jews. But that, that guardianship, that wall had been torn down, and now everyone had the ability... Uh, through faith, in verse 26, uh, once we're baptized, to, to have put on Christ, to become one, uh, one in Christ. Uh, if you, and then once you are one in Christ, you have the same uh, promise as Abraham's offspring had. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. the point. That's a good point right yeah. there. 
that promise. Uh, notice, and, and I don't want to cut you short there on that. Yep. He's talking about uh, the sons of God. Yep. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. Yep. Now through faith. That's right. But now let's say somebody says, well, I don't understand what that means. Well, then read verse 27. That clears it up right yeah. there. That yeah. faith is putting on Christ. When we, yeah. when you have true faith, for as many who were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Right. Um, you know, there is only one uh, one person that I know that is holy enough to stand in the presence of, of Christ. I mean, the presence of God. And that is, that is Christ. And Christ uh, covers us as a garment. Or it covers our sins as a garment uh, would, so that we can be in the presence of God. Uh, he made something possible for especially the Greeks or the Jews, or I mean, I'm sorry, the Gentiles uh, that had not been possible before, that they uh, could become uh, sons of God. And uh, they, they didn't have that promise that Abraham's offspring had. But they were brought into that promise through the blood of Christ, that putting so on Christ. True. I hope you're following along with that. Uh, I think Nat's explanation of it is correct. And he's looking at Galatians chapter 3, and he's answering my question. You know, how do you become sons of God? Yep. And he read for us verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So Paul answers that question. Yep. You become a child of God when you're baptized into Christ. A prepositional phrase into meaning in a new relationship with Christ. Yep. Whereas before I was baptized, I was outside of Christ. Once I have been baptized, I am now in Christ. And he makes that very clear. Yep. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Then he says, have put on Christ. You know, the idea of putting on your clothes. You put on new clothes and you put them on. Well, an individual now puts on Christ. And the figure of speech conveys the idea that now, because of obedient faith, I become a child of God. It doesn't matter who you are, verse 28, as you read there, Nat, neither Jew nor Greek, slave, free male or female. And then that wonderful point you made about verse 29, Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. That's how we receive that. And that's how an individual who lives that faithfully can say, for me to live is Christ, yep. and to die is gain. But without that, you can't say it. That's right. Well, Jim, uh, our time is about up. It's been good to be with you, our audience, and we uh, ask that you uh, join us again next time.